Book Five, Chapter Eight of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Five, Chapter Eight A Youth of the Times. Mrs. Arlberry accompanied Camilla the next day to Cleves to ask permission of Mr. Tyrold for the excursion. She would trust the request to none but herself, conscious of powers of persuasion unused to repulse. Mr. Tyrold was distressed by the proposition. He was not satisfied in trusting his unguarded Camilla to the dissipation of a public place, except under the wing of her mother though he felt eager to remove her from edgar and rejoiced in any opportunity to allow her a change of scene that might revive her natural spirits and unchain her heart from its unhappy subjection perceiving him undetermined mrs albury called forth all her artillery of eloquence and grace to forward her conquest the license she allowed herself in common of fantastic command gave way to the more feminine attraction of soft pleading her satire which though never malignant was often alarming was relinquished for a sportive gaiety that diffused general animation and mr tyrold soon though not caught like his daughter ceased to wonder that his daughter had been caught in this indecision he took Camilla apart, and bade her tell him, without fear or reserve, her own feelings, her own wishes, her own opinion upon this scheme. She held such a call too serious and too kind for disguise. She hid her face upon his shoulder and wept. He soothed and encouraged her to confidence, and, in broken accents, she then acknowledged herself unequal, as yet, to fulfilling his injunctions of appearing cheerful and easy, though sensible of their wisdom. Mr. Tyrold, with a heavy heart, saw how much deeper was her wound than the airiness of her nature had prepared him to expect, and could no longer hesitate in granting his consent. He saw it was her wish to go, but he saw that the pleasures of a public place had no share in exciting it. To avoid betraying her conscious mortification was her sole and innocent motive. And though he would rather have sent her to a more private spot, and have trusted her to a more retired character, he yet thought it possible that what opportunity presented unsought might eventually prove more beneficial than what his own choice would have dictated. For public amusements, to the young and unhackneyed, give entertainment without requiring exertion, and spirits lively as those of Mrs. Arlberry create nearly as much gaiety as they display. Fixed now for the journey, he carried Camilla to her uncle to take leave. The prospect of not seeing her again for six weeks was gloomy to Sir Hugh, though he bore it better at this moment, when his fancy was occupied by arranging preparations for the return of Claremont, than he could have done at almost any other. He put in her hand 
a fifty-pound bank-note for her expenses, and when, with mingled modesty and dejection, she would have returned the whole as unnecessary even to her wishes, Mr. Tyrold, interfering, made her accept twenty pounds. Sir Hugh pressed forward the original sum in vain. His brother, though her always averse to refuse his smallest desire, thought it here a duty to be firm that the excursion which he granted as a relief to her sadness might not lead to pleasures ever after beyond her reach, nor to their concomitant extravagance. She could not, he knew, reside at Tunbridge with the economy and simplicity to which she was accustomed at Etherington, but he charged her to let no temptation make her forget the moderate income of which alone she was certain, assuring her that where a young woman's expenses exceeded her known expectations, those who were foremost to praise her elegance would most fear to form any connection with her, and most despise or deride her in any calamity. Camilla found no difficulty in promising the most exact observance of this instruction. Her heart seemed in sackcloth and ashes, and she cared not what manner her person should be arrayed. Sir Hugh earnestly enjoined her not to fail to be at Cleves upon the arrival of Claremont, intimating that the nuptials would immediately take place. She then sought Eugenia, whom she found with Dr. Orkborne, in a state of mind so perfectly calm and composed as equally to surprise and rejoice her. She saw with pleasure that all Bellamy had inspired was the most artless compassion, for since his dismission had now positively been given, and Claremont was actually summoned, she devoted her thoughts solely to the approaching event, with the firm, though early wisdom which distinguished her character. Indiana joined them, and in a low voice said to Camilla, "'Pray, cousin, do you know where Mr. McDursey is? Because I'm sadly afraid he's dead.' Camilla, surprised, desired to know why she had such an apprehension. "'Because he told me he'd shoot himself through the brains if I was cruel, and I am sure I had no great choice given me, for, between ourselves, Miss Markland gave all the answers for me, without once stopping to ask me what I should choose. So, if he has really done it, the fault is more hers than mine.' She then said that just after Camilla's departure the preceding day, Mr. McDursey arrived, and insisted upon seeing her and speaking to Sir Hugh, as he was ordered into Kent, and could not go so far in suspense. Sir Hugh was not well enough to admit him, and Miss Marglin, upon whom the office devolved, took upon her to give him a positive refusal, and though she went into the room while he was there, never once would let her make an answer for herself. Miss Marglin, she added, had frightened Sir Hugh into forbidding him the house by comparing him with Mr. Bellamy. But Mr. McDursey had frightened them all enough in return as he went away by saying that as soon as ever Sir Hugh was well, he would call him out because of his sending him word downstairs not to come to Cleves any more, for he had been disturbed enough already by another Irish fortune hunter that came after another of his nieces, and he was the more sure Mr. McDursey was one of them because of his being a real Irishman while Mr. Bellamy was only an Englishman. "'But don't you think now, cousin,' she continued, "'Miss Marglin might as well have let me speak for myself?' 
Camilla inquired if she was sorry for the rejection. No, she answered with some hesitation, for Miss Marglin says he's got no rent roll. Besides, I don't think he's so agreeable as Mr. Melmond. Only Mr. Melmond's worth little or no fortune, they say, for Miss Margland inquired about it after Mr. Mandelbear behaved so, else I can't say I thought Mr. Melman disagreeable. Mrs. Arlberry now sent to hasten Camilla, who, in returning to the parlor, met Edgar. He had just gathered her intended excursion, and sick at heart had left the room. Camilla felt the consciousness of a guilty person at his sight, but he only slightly bowed and coldly saying, I hope you will have much pleasure at Tunbridge, went on to his own room. And there, replete with resentment for the whole of her late conduct, he again blessed Dr. Marchmont for his preservation from her toils, and concluding the excursion was for the sake of the major, whose regiment he knew to be just ordered into Kent, he centred every former hope in the one single wish that he might never see her more. Camilla, shocked by such obvious displeasure, quitted Cleves with still increasing sadness, and Mrs. Arlberry would heartily have repented her invitation, but for her dependence upon Sir Sedley Clarendell. At Etherington they stopped that Camilla might prepare her package for Tunbridge. Mrs. Arlberry would not alight. While Camilla, with a maid-servant, was examining her drawers, the chamber-door was opened by Lionel, for whom she had just inquired, and who, telling her he wanted to speak to her in private, turned the maid out of the room. Camilla begged him to be quick, as Mrs. Alberry was waiting. "'Why, then, my dear little girl,' cried he, "'the chief substance of the matter is neither more nor less than this. I want a little money.' "'My dear brother,' said Camilla, pleasure again kindling in her eyes as she opened her pocket-book. You could never have applied to me so opportunely. I have just got twenty pounds, and I do not want twenty shillings. Take it, I beseech you, any part or all. Lionel paused and seemed half-choked. Camilla, he cried presently, you are an excellent girl. If you were as old and ugly as Miss Margland, I really believe I should think you young and pretty. But this sum is nothing, a drop of water to the ocean. Camilla, now drawing back, disappointed and displeased, asked how it was possible he should want more. More, my dear child? Well, I want two or three cool hundred. Two or three hundred? repeated she, amazed. Nay, nay, don't be frightened. My uncle will give you two or three thousand, you know that. And I really want the money. It's no joke, I assure you. It's a case of real distress. Distress? Impossible. What distress can you have to so prodigious an amount? Prodigious? <laughs> Poor little innocent. Dost think two or three hundred prodigious? And what is become of the large sums extorted from my uncle Relville? Oh, that was for quite another thing. That was for debts. That's gone and over. This is for a perfectly different purpose. And will nothing—oh, Lionel, nothing touch you? My poor mother's quitting England, her separation from my father and her family? 
my uncle relville's severe attack will nothing move you to more thoughtful more praiseworthy conduct camilla no preaching i might as well cast myself upon the old ones at once i come to you in preference on purpose to avoid sermonizing however for your satisfaction and to spur you to serve me i can assure you i have avoided all new debts since the last little deposit of the poor sick hypochondriac miser who is pining away at the loss of a few guineas that he had neither spirit nor health to have spent for himself is this your reasoning your repentance lionel upon such a catastrophe my dear girl i am heartily concerned at the whole business only as it's over i don't like talking of it this is the last scrape i shall ever be in while i live but if you won't help me i am undone you know your influence with my uncle do there's a dear girl use it for your brother i have not a dependence in the world now but upon you certainly i will do whatever i can for you she said sighing but indeed my dear lionel your manner of going on makes my very heart ache however let this twenty pounds be in part and tell me your very smallest calculation for what must be added two hundred a farthing less will be of no use and three will be of thrice the service but mind you must not say it's for me how then can i ask for it oh vamp up some dismal ditty no lionel exclaimed she turning away from him you propose what you know to be impractical well then if you must needs say it's for me tell him he must not for his life own it to the old ones in the same breath must i beg and command oh i always make that my bargain i should else be put into the lecture-room and not let loose till i was made a milksop they talk me so into the vapours i should not be able to act like a man for a month to come a man lionel yes a man of the world my dear a knowing one mrs arlberry now sent to hasten her and he extorted a promise that she would go to cleves the next morning and procure a draft for the money if possible to be ready for his calling at the grove in the afternoon she felt this more deeply than she had time or courage to own to lionel but her increased melancholy was all imputed to reflection concerning mandelbear by mrs alberry that lady lent her chase the next morning with her usual promptitude of good humour and camilla went to cleves with a reluctance that never before accompanied her desire to oblige her visit was received most kindly by all the family as merely an additional leave-taking in which light though she was too sincere to place it she suffered it to pass having no chance of being alone with her uncle by accident she was forced to beg him in a whisper to request a tete-a-tete with her and she then covered with all the confusion of a partner in his extravagance made the petition of lionel sir hugh seemed much surprised but protested he would rather part with his coat and waistcoat than refuse anything to camilla he gave her instantly a draft upon his banker for two hundred pounds but added he should take it very kind of her if she would beg lionel to ask him for no more this year 
as he was really so hard run he could not else be able to make proper preparations for the wedding till his next rents became due camilla was now surprised in her turn and sir hugh then confessed that between presents and petitions his nephew had no less than five hundred pounds from him the preceding year unknown to his parents and that for this year the sum she requested made the seventh hundred without the least account for what purpose it was given camilla now heartily repented being a partner in a business so rapacious so unjustifiable and so mysterious but kindly interrupting her apology don't be concerned my dear he cried for there's no help for these things though what the young boys do with all their money nowadays is odd enough being what i can't make out however he'll soon be wiser so we must not be too severe with him though i told him the last time i had rather he would not ask me so often which was being almost too sharp i'm afraid considering his youngness for one can't expect him to be an old man at once camilla gave voluntarily her word no such application should find her its ambassadress again and though he would have dispensed with the promise she made it the more readily as a guard against her own facility at least cried the baronet say nothing to my poor brother and more especially to your mother it being but vexatious to such good parents to hear of such idleness not knowing what to think of it for it is a great secret he says what he does with it all for which reason one can't expect him to tell it my poor brother to be sure had rather he should be studying hick hock but lord help him i believe he knows no more of that than i do myself and i never could make out much meaning of it any further than its being latin though i suppose at the time dr arkborn might explain it to me taking it for granted he did what was right camilla was most willing to agree to concealing from her parents what she knew must so painfully afflict them though she determined to assume sufficient courage to expostulate most seriously with her brother against whom she felt sensations of the most painful anger again she now took leave but upon re-entering the parlour found edgar there alone involuntarily she was retiring but the counsel of her father recurring to her she compelled herself to advance and say how good you have been to eugenia how greatly we are all indebted for your kind vigilance and exertion edgar who was reading and knew not she was in the house was surprised both by her sight and her address out of all his resolutions and with a softness of voice he meant evermore to deny himself answered to me can any of the tyrold family talk of being indebted to me my own obligations to all to every individual of that name have been the pride have been hitherto the happiness of my life the word hitherto which had escaped affected him he stopped recollected himself and presently more dryly added those obligations will be still much increased if i must flatter myself that one of that race to whom i adventured to play the officious part of a brother could forget those lectures she can else i fear with difficulty pardon you have found me unworthy your counsel answered camilla gravely and looking down you have therefore concluded i resent it but we are not always completely wrong even when wide from being right 
i have not been culpable of quite so much folly as to not feel what i have owed to your good offices nor am i now guilty of the injustice to blame their being withdrawn you surely do what is wisest though not perhaps what is kindest to these last words she forced a smile and wishing him good morning hurried away amazed past expression and touched to the soul he remained a few instants immovable then resolving to follow her and almost resolving to throw himself at her feet he opened the door she had shut after her he saw her still in the hall but she was in the arms of her father and sisters who had all descended upon hearing she had left sir hugh and of whom she was now taking leave upon his appearance she said she could no longer keep the carriage but as she hastened from the hall he saw that her eyes were swimming in tears her father saw it too with less surprise but more pain he knew her short and voluntary absence from her friends could not excite them his heart ached with paternal concern for her and motioning everybody else to remain in the hall he walked with her to the carriage himself saying in a low voice as he put her in be of better courage my dearest child endeavour to take pleasure where you are going and forget what you are leaving and if you wish to feel or give contentment upon earth remember always you must seek to make circumstance contribute to happiness not happiness subservient to circumstance camilla bathing his hand with her tears promised this maxim should never quit her mind till they met again she then drove off yes she cried i must indeed study it edgar cares no more what becomes of me resentment next to antipathy has taken place of his friendship and esteem she wrote down in her pocket-book the last words of her father she resolved to read them daily and to make them the current lesson of her future and disappointed life lionel too impatient to wait for the afternoon was already at the grove and handed her from the chase but stopping her in the portico well he cried where's my draft before i give it to you said she seriously and walking from the servants i must entreat to speak a few words to you you have really got it then cried he in a rapture you are a charming girl the most charming girl i know in the world i won't take your poor twenty pounds i would not touch it for the world but come where's the draft is it for the two or the three for the two and surely my dear lionel for the two oh plague take it only for the two and when will you give me that odd third oh brother oh lionel what a question will you make me repent instead of rejoice in the pleasure i have to assist you why when he was about it why could he not as well come down like a gentleman at once i am sure i always behaved very handsomely to him how do you mean why i never frightened him never put him beside his poor wits like t'other poor uncle i don't remember i ever did him an ill turn in my life except wanting dr pockhook there to flog him a little for not learning his book it would have been a rare sight if he had don't you think so rare indeed i hope why now what could he have done if the doctor had really performed it he could not in justice have found fault when he put himself to school to him but he'd felt a little queer don't you think he would 
you only want to make me laugh to prevent my speaking to the purpose but i am not disposed to laugh and therefore oh if you are not disposed to laugh you are no company for me give me my draught therefore if you will not hear i hope at least lionel you will think and that may be more efficacious shall i put up the twenty i really do not want it and it is all 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 i can ever procure for you remember that what all this all why not even the other little mean hundred no my dear brother i have promised my uncle no further application why what a stingy fusty old codger to draw such a promise from you hold hold lionel i cannot endure to hear you speak in such a manner of such an uncle the best the most benevolent the most indulgent lord child don't be so precise and old maidish don't you know it's a relief to a man's mind to swear and say a few cutting things when he's in a passion when all the time he would no more do harm to the people he swears at than you would that mince out all your words as if you were talking treason and thought every man a spy that heard you besides how is a man the worse for a little friendly curse or two provided he does not hear it it is a very innocent refreshment to a man's mind my dear only you know nothing of the world mrs arlberry now approaching he hastily took the draught and after a little hesitation the twenty pounds telling her if she would not ask for him she must ask for herself and that he felt no compunction as he was certain she might draw upon her uncle for every guinea he was worth he then heartily embraced her said she was the best girl in the world when she did not mount the pulpit and rode off camilla felt no concern at the loss of her twenty pounds lowered and unhappy she was rather glad than sorry that her means for being abroad were diminished and that to keep her own room would soon be most convenient the next day was fixed for the journey End of chapter eight